0: Can be that person
1: who can choose to be a victim of that, or you can choose to power on and believe that you will overcome that adversity.
0: Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show.
2: I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company NALTA and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done.
1: LinkedIn presents...
2: Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating incredible women in tech from all around the world. My name is Catherine Roan, and I have the privilege of guest hosting this episode. And with me here today is Helen from Melbourne, Australia. Helen, welcome. Hello, Catherine. (laughs) Thank you so much for making the time. I can only imagine how incredibly busy you are. I'm going to let you, you know, do the honours. So can you please tell us a little bit about you and what you're up to these days?
1: A little bit about me, This I, I, I always get asked this question and it's not a very quick uh, answer. So let's go right back then to, because this all feeds into my passion and my purpose and what I am trying to create in the world in terms of impact. So it really stems from my upbringing and I was adopted into an Australian family when I was 13 months old from the Philippines. And the reason I was given up for adoption was that my mother at the time was dying when she was giving me up for adoption. My father couldn't afford to keep me. And two of my siblings out of nine were passed away from malnutrition. So it's an extremely dire situation that I came from. Um, however, was placed into an incredible family here in Australia a very loving, very caring, supportive family um, whom I'm I'm very close with. Even though that is the case, though, I faced a lot of adversity growing up in a very small country town in Victoria, uh, Australia, and I was faced with a lot of racism, a lot of bullying at school. I was there in the Asian in my school, so often I would go home crying most days and thankfully had the support of an incredible role model, uh, my father and, and mother, who taught me all the lessons of adversity and how to um, cope through times of challenge. And I guess that has really stayed with me all of my life and i'm extremely grateful for the opportunities that i've had in life and also my ability to create opportunities for myself so there has been a a dying need and desire for me to to give back to young people to help them create opportunities for themselves it wasn't really apparent i think for me to finally take that jump a few years ago to start up my uh, my company and uh, so I left my my fast forward many many years left my corporate job at, at Deloitte founded a company called spill the beans which is a social enterprise uh, it originally started out as like a TED talks for kids by kids uh, helping young people to inspire others and share their stories and uh, their inspiration with young people and uh, general public And, uh, booked out the Melbourne Convention Centre initially for, you know, 600 people, started selling tickets and had these incredible kids booked in. And then the pandemic hit. So from there, had to very quickly move and pivot onto more of an online offering. And came up with the idea, which is not a, a new idea, but it's it's like a, a shark tank for kids essentially called Pitchfest. And it's a, a production where kids get to pitch their charity and business ideas to leading entrepreneurs from around the world. And we had some incredible entrepreneurs on the show. Um, Mark Randolph, the co-founder of Netflix, who I'm still in regular contact with, and who tells me how bad my ideas are from time to time and uh, also uh, in a couple of the sharks on, on Shark Tank here and over in the US as well. And uh, it's, it's incredible, the, you know, the, the willingness that these entrepreneurs are, are willing to give back to, to young people. So created that production and turned it into an educational resource to teach students around Australia the skills of entrepreneurship, design thinking, ideation, problem solving and created a workshop, um, an ideation workshop called PitchFest. And through those workshops, and this is where I'm I'm leading to where I am right now, lots of things were apparent in those workshops where students wanted to solve real-world problems, not just theoretical ones, um, and problems that related to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And they're teaching them a lot in schools these days, which I think is fantastic. But they really wanted to solve a lot of those problems, and particularly those, the top, top ones that, that came up a lot of the time were mental health, uh, environment and education. And then, also, the difficulty that schools were facing a lot as I was um, facilitating these workshops was bringing industry into the classrooms. and i I just thought with this big problem and and trying to solve these problems, how do we how do we bring them together? How do we bring industry into the classrooms? How do we bring young people together to solve these real world problems? So I decided also along the way that it was going to take a long time to impact a lot of young people. And this is where I guess the tech side of things comes into it because I wanted to have that ability to scale full impact. I went out there to a range of, uh, well, first of all, I came up with the idea, which is solve it. And Zolvit is exactly that. It's bringing industry and young people together on the one platform to solve real world problems. And the way that it works, if I can go into a little bit of detail about Zolvit itself, is that socially responsible companies create challenges. It's an app. So socially responsible companies create challenges on the app for young people to solve that are aligned to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And then young people up to the age of 25 pitch their solutions in the form of a short form video to win prizes, but most importantly, the main prize is the opportunity to ideate with the companies to help develop their solutions and implement their solutions with the companies. So for companies, it's about displaying and demonstrating their social responsibility by creating these challenges that are aligned to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. It's also about attracting a talent pool of young people who are motivated, who are passionate um, and have similar uh, values alignment with the companies. And who are also skilled, and who can demonstrate the top skills that employers are looking for as well, in terms of presentation, communication, collaboration, problem solving. And then for the young people, the benefits, of course, are that they get to demonstrate these skills, but they also have the opportunity to ideate with these companies that they wouldn't, order, you know, they, they wouldn't usually have these opportunities. Um, and, and for them, it's it's really difficult for them to stand out um, amongst the competition just on paper. So this is a way to physically demonstrate their skills and the opportunity to to meet with these executives from companies and do these ideation workshops and potential career opportunities as well. So there are a lot of benefits um, from both sides on the Zolvit platform. And I'll stop there because that's... <laughs> That's where I'm at right now.
2: I don't think I, I wriggling is the right word, but I'm just jumping out of my skin at everything that you're saying. Um, because you, you know, you, you and I both connected on the education piece and the giving young people an opportunity piece. And I think something that is also a benefit that maybe isn't as apparent is that. And just just to give you some context, like when I was teaching, right, I was all for entrepreneurship. I was like entrepreneurship, and the, not. Not the whole like hustling side of it. It was more the skills that a student or a human being can develop from entrepreneurship or just doing your own thing, right? That's invaluable, right? And I'm like, oh, it's the silver bullet to education. this is this is the one thing that I can help my students with, you know, putting my subject aside. And as much as I wanted to support the the kids to do that, and as you said, you know, you recognize that students, even they' students and they're young, they have such an incredible like power to do things and creatively, but also the drive, right. To be able to do things, but they just don't have a context or an opportunity to do that. And so I was trying to encourage this as much as I can, trying to, you know, develop programs and stuff like that, similar to what you were saying. But what I kept coming up against was the narrative that surrounds high school. And that is like, that was, you know, the students will say to me, that's a really great idea. Like, this is cool. I like it. However, I need to get good grades so I can go to uni, so I can get a job, so I can do that. And so as much as I was showing and the kids were involved in these programs, right, and they could see it for themselves, it was just really hard to see a future in developing these skills where they felt that their job at a school was to go, no, I've got to get good grades. I've got to put my head down and just you know study the content and do well. And so that was what I was really, really fighting against more so than the kids actually going to give it a try. It was... I can't fight that narrative that's just ingrained in them about what the purpose of high school is and the final years are. And so something that I see that Zovit does is it brings that narrative to life, right? For people like myself who are just like, I just want you to try something. <laughs> like, you know, as adults, you can see on the other side of the fence and go, hang on a second, there's something in school that's missing that I'm not teaching you as a teacher that will set you up for life. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be like, oh, you're going to do chemistry for the rest of your life. I knew that that wasn't going to be the case. But I knew that there's this thing, just trust me, you know. And it, it was just a really hard hurdle for these for these kids to, to get over because it's not something that they've seen before. It's not something that's pushed. So I really believe that you having solved it and having that so clearly and the impact of it so clear. I think that will really help shift the narrative in school and for the students to go, huh, maybe this is a thing I could put my energy into and it could help with, you know, career or whatever it is I'm going to do next after high school. So I really want to thank you for helping to make that easier and the transition and for the kids to actually dip their toes in for, from someone who really tried to do that when I was teaching and I was like, it's just a really hard battle.
1: It is. It's really tough. It's it's uh, it was a real struggle, and I was seeing that time and time again in these workshops and with hundreds of students who who just didn't know how to apply their skills and and uh, just in in real life. It, it's it's one thing to be in a classroom, but then to take those skills and apply them outside the classroom, and then moving into the big wide world is a really scary thing. So I think if we can set our children up with these skills from a very early age, it's going to help them in so many different aspects of their life and their career. And I think that's where the companies are seeing the advantage of Zolvesh. They're actually, you know, if if I put it in one of my client's terms, uh, she was saying this is like the new graduate recruitment tool for companies because it's helping them to... Attract those young people who, like you say, who, who are not necessarily going down that traditional path of uh, education, uh, and who can stand out by showcasing these skills. Because, you know, I worked at a Deloitte, for example, and the graduates that came through the Deloitte, these incredible graduates have a ama- mate. Well, first of all, they're all very, they're highly skilled, they're highly educated. They're highly intelligent, um, and they have a lot of a lot of that going for them. But a lot of them are also very privileged in their upbringing too. And this, you know, Zolvet I see as a platform for people with diverse backgrounds, for young people with. Not necessarily that, you know, they're top marks but they have incredible skills and passion and they can showcase this on the platform um, to help stand out and have potential career opportunities. You know, companies like we've got IBM on the platform and Microsoft and Village Roadshow and all these incredible, you know, UN Youth Australia um, all these amazing companies who are seeing value in it and attracting the right kind of people. We did a lot of study and validation of the, the platform as well and um, there's a lot of research out there that would indicate that young people will choose a company based on values alignment over a company that's offering them more money um, for a role. So it's very interesting. There's so many different avenues we can talk about here but the main thing is that it's helping young people to create opportunities for themselves
2: I think that's why I was so I gravitate to education so much because similar to what you were saying before like I'm grateful like I won the ovarian lottery you know I ended up where I ended up and I'm privileged to have the opportunities I had and for me education is a vehicle to give back and to give back by opportunities right and so something so just putting a pin on of it because I'm really interested in all of the different avenues that it hits, right—the social responsibility, the the whole like um, you know, new people coming, the new, the younger generation coming into the workforce. What do they care about, you know? And how this is an interesting model of trying to a, acquire these new and talented and fresh, you know, students um, into the workforce. But something that you said earlier, and you know, you listen to your background, and you're like, well, actually. <laughs> I was adopted you know I'd I'd already experienced so much trauma and loss at such a, a young age but then you turned around and you said well I'm grateful for the opportunities that you've had in life which I'm like well blown away but then also you said I'm grateful for the ability to create opportunities which I think is really cool where I'm really curious to know where where did that kind of stem from for for you being grateful for what you have but also going hang on a second i can create these opportunities too and when did that kind of start in you where you just gave yourself the permission to go i can actually create opportunities for all of these people that i probably have never met
1: really good question so i think this was drummed into me from my from my parents uh my my father is very much a role model for me and I think it's important for young people to have a role model in their life who can really lead by example and I I think I think also just because I I think it feeds into that the fact that I'm so grateful for every opportunity that has come my way I think I naturally gravitate towards opportunities. So when I see a door open, I literally jump through it and I don't, to my detriment, because I, I actually don't think logically sometimes about the opportunity. I just see it as an opportunity. So I will go all in. And I think through, you know, by virtue of just jumping through that opportunity, um, jumping at that opportunity, I find myself creating and this is where the ability comes into it. I actually find myself creating something for myself through that opportunity. So I step out of my comfort zone, I jump at that, and then the ability comes into, well, I kind of build it as I go along. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like that you know, that very cliche of you jump off a cliff and then you build your plane on the way down. It is, that is how my life, my whole life has been like that from working at, you know, at a very young age, doing the paper round to um, paying for, you know, I wanted to in year 12, for example, I, I said to my parents, I want to change schools because they were offering a different um, different subjects. And my parents said to me, you can change schools if you pay for your fees <laughs> and your books, <laughs> And I said, "Okay, fine, I'll do that." And so I got a—you know—I started picking apples and um, and and working this summer job at a at a stationary company. I ended up um, changing schools and paying for my own um, fees and my books um, because I was so determined to to do that. So that's that's just a very small example. There are many of those um, examples along my life, but the ability to create opportunities, I think, is throwing yourself out of your comfort zone learning along the way. Um does that sort of help answer where that comes from?
2: Yeah, because I'm just curious. I haven't really come across someone who's like firstly it's I'm grateful for what I've got, which is amazing, and then you're like, but I'm also grateful that I get to create opportunities. I'm like, that's really new. I want to see where that came from. And I guess you know, you talk about the theme of getting out of your comfort zone, which is really nice by thought, right? And you're like, oh yeah, of course I could do that, but it's so hard in practice. How do you do that? Because it seems so scary when you have no idea. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's self-belief. It comes
1: down to adversity because I have faced so much adversity and there's a lot here that I I could go on for hours and hours. You know, I mean, I was spat on in the streets and, and told, go back to where you came from. Um, I had, you know, very, there are parts of my upbringing that were very, very difficult and not just racism. There are other things that I won't go into detail about. I think you you have to, I think adversity builds self-belief. You can be that person who can choose to be a victim of that or you can choose to power on and believe that you will overcome that adversity. So I think it's it's very much uh, a case of, and I'm so passionate about this because I've just faced so much adversity and got through it. The the more the more you step out of that comfort zone, the more you are faced with adversity, the more you believe that you can achieve. A few years ago, I ran the Great Wall of of China marathon, and uh, once you run a marathon, you honestly believe that you can do anything. There is this ridiculous belief that you have wow now that I've done that I can I can put you I can do anything that I put my mind to but I think with any kind of adversity you you honestly have such self-belief if you can over overcome that and I think that's where it stems from for me so even when I was thinking about this when when people ask me how can you quit your corporate job and I was in a high paying salary at Deloitte in a great position and I quit and people just they they think you're crazy because why would you do that to go into something that is completely unknown? Uh, but I would I would only do that if I had the self belief and continue on that path. So I think a lot of it comes down to that and instilling that. And I think again parenting comes into that too because I have I have three children and I am it's a it's a struggle because they just naturally I think kids struggle to believe in themselves I think you've just you've constantly pick them up and constantly say come on you've got this you can do this and I think it's just a a case of educating over time and believing in them and leading by example as well.
2: I think it's even with adults right we, we struggle with believing in ourselves where it's constantly trying to validate and, and find proof that you know, that you can do it, you know? So you're looking for these nuggets of like, oh, that one time. And even when that one thing happens, you're like, nah nah, surely not, you know? So I I can only imagine, you know, at at a young age when they don't have any proof, quote-unquote proof, then it's kind of like, well, can I actually do it? What I find really interesting about the way you're talking about everything is that, you know, quitting a high-paying job, which would sound outrageous to anyone who has been told this is the path. The path is you do really well, you get a good job, you get a high-paying job, you stay in the high-paying job, you retire. <laughs> but it sounds like from what you're saying is that like I've backed myself enough that I'm just gonna go and do what's true for me, irrespective of what the, you know, the social narrative is around growing up and getting a job and what you should do, which I think is is really, really cool. And you you have had the ability to kind of bring people along with you on the journey, right? And all these incredible mentors and You know, Mark, has he had you on his podcast? Yeah? No, no, he hasn't. Oh, okay.
1: I would actually be afraid to go on his podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Get roasted <laughs> by Matt. <myself.
1: laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I reach out to him all the time and and um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ask him for uh, advice on things or I'll ask him to do things and he'll just say, well, no, Helen, for this reason or that reason. And I, like, <laughs> and I actually have an in my inbox, I have a folder that is a rejections folder. <laughs> and and really? he Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, I wow, remind okay. myself of everything time I'm, I'm rejected because it it actually sparks my motivation so each time I get rejected I put my little put my little email in that folder of rejections and I go over that folder of rejections to remind myself okay that's fine I got rejected that's okay I can I can handle that I can just move on to the next and to the next on to the next but yeah I'd be totally afraid to go on Mark's, Mark's podcast because he's he's one of the most direct uh direct people yeah that I know in a good way you
2: know yeah Mm -hmm. I mean I guess you kind of need that with with what he's dealing with every day and decisions that he needs to make um and so it sounds like the theme one of the other themes that I can hear throughout your whole life is having the people around you you know you you keep giving a lot of I don't know a lot of kudos to your parents which is amazing and I, I would do the same you know the people around me and then even here when we're talking about pitch fest you know such an incredible community around you how do you how do you do that when it's you're talking about a lot of the times it's like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm just going to jump and there's a door and then it looks open. So I don't know if there's anyone on the other side but I'm going to go through it anyway. So how do you go about rallying these people who are just so committed to you and, and what you want to bring to the world too?
1: Well, I, I think because I believe in myself so much, it it does tend to rub off on other people too. And I know that they believe in in me, they believe in my cause. They believe in what I stand for, and what I am trying to create. And it's not—it's so interesting because along, I used to be in sales in recruitment. I used to be in legal recruitment, so I've had a lot of rejection over time being in sales, as you do. So you—you you, you get um, pushbacks all the time and barriers all the time. People just saying no, no, no. And and the one thing that I've found with my Zoviet with pitch fest with spill the beans everything is that it's not a sell because it's something that I'm so passionate about even when it comes to having these meetings with uh with potential clients or with potential people you want on your board or it's just me talking naturally about something that I'm passionate about so I don't I don't feel like I have to uh, like I did in sales, prepare for a, a sales pitch or a sales meeting because it's just, it all just comes so naturally to me because it's something I'm so passionate about. Uh, and to to rally the support is, um, it just comes naturally and the people can feel it. They they, they sense my energy. They, they know my enthusiasm. They know that I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to work on something that I'm so passionate about that I will put it, first that whatever I'm doing right now to create opportunities for young people is my passion first and foremost um my children come first that's I've got two things that I track right now I track everything in my life
2: (laughs) is this um, on an Excel spreadsheet or something
1: (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah I have what's called a peak performance tracker and I literally track I track everything I track the number of emails that i send. I track every single thing in my life. Like it's overwhelming for some people, but it has to be done. And I track two things. It's it's relating to to being a good mother and relating to Zolbit. They're the two things that I'm tracking right now. It changes over time. My peak performance tracker changes over time, but they're the, they're the two things. And having the people, so I've got the CTO of Microsoft Australia on my advisory board. I've got the chairman of Deloitte on my advisory board. I have one of the executive directors of the Tech Council of Australia on my board and professors and young people who believe in the cause. So I think there's a combination of they believe that what I'm creating is valuable in this world and will make real change, but they also believe in me. And there's this book that I absolutely love which is The Element by Sir Ken Robinson and it's the one that I gift to everyone. It's the one that I read over and over again. It's called The Element, How Finding Your Passion Changes Everything and that has been my go-to book uh, for advice and motivation and um, and that's, that's literally my life is having this passion and bringing it together with natural talent to create something that will uh, uh, just make everyone happy and the world a better place. Hmm. I
2: think I'm just going to pause there to let everyone soak that in because, you know, every time you talk it's not just the words that you're saying, it's the way that you're saying and the energy that you're putting into it that I can feel like it really hits. So when you were saying, I don't even need to prepare for this, it's not a sales pitch, it is me like it is what I believe and you can really hear that when you talk about everything you know that we've spoken about on this podcast and so I guess hearing your background there wasn't too much tech in there in terms of experience so how was building the Zolbet platform?
1: How was building the Zolbet platform? (laughs) Um, As a non-techie person as a non-traditional exactly so I, I have, I guess, um, I have always been capable in terms of technology. So I do learn tech quickly and I'm very, um, I know how to, where to go for things. I'm quite resourceful. I think that's a, one of my key strengths as, as an entrepreneur and a startup founder is that I am very, very resourceful. So when it came to creating Zolvet, the platform and the actual app, of course, the first thing you you think about is well, how do I develop it? And you go and have these conversations with developers. And I was getting quotes from anywhere from fifty thousand through to one hundred and fifty thousand through to half a million dollars to develop this app. And I thought, are you serious? First of all, I can't afford that. I'm a single mother with three children um, to feed, and there's no possible way that I'm going to raise funds. Um, from an idea that I have in my head so I guess the next best thing is well I have to create it myself (laughs) so I thought what's the best platform to use so of course you do a lot of YouTube video searching and um, a lot of understanding of what's the best tech to use based on someone with very low knowledge of coding so I found a a platform, a low code platform, and I just stuck with it. And it, uh, so even though it's low code, you still have to understand the data flows, and you still have to understand logic and um, and the design of it. And I built my own website as well using WordPress, so I I knew how to do all of that, and I did all my EDMs, and I essentially just I did everything from the start. So I I, I I'm, at least I have that very basic sort of techie understanding of of, um, of using these these platforms. So I just taught myself and in six months I had taught myself how to program, understand the logic and the, the data flow and the design and the development and I just went through wireframe after wireframe after wireframe and if you look at the back end of Zolvet, it looks like a crazy it looks crazy because all of these these lines are just going everywhere and all over the place. and and you either think, well, this is either the mind of a crazy person or it's the mind of you know a genius. So um, so I was up, you know I've got three children. I was up four in the morning, most days, um, you know trying to understand it and uh, and program. And then during the day and then, you know, while my kids are in the bath, while my kids are doing all kinds of things, I'm on my laptop just constantly um, learning and programming and finally launched it on the App stores, very much in beta. I mean, it's still very much, there's so much more to do with it, which is what I'm going through now. Um, and it's great to have the likes of, you know, the CTO of Microsoft on my board who can sort of help navigate the, the tech side of things. But certainly um at least the ability to create uh, and here's a the prime example of creating an opportunity for yourself is teaching myself to do that I had a question
2: to ask you but there's something that you said that I was like oh my ears kind of just pricked up not that it doesn't sit well but curious to know your opinion because you you said that you, know, you have this idea in your head and you're like well it's either 50,000 anyway it's worth a million dollars and then you said but like surely I can't raise from an idea that's in my head. And then I was like, hang on a second, but everyone else has done it. So why do you think that you had that thought? With, with all of the gumption and the drive that you have, like why did you feel like you couldn't raise from an idea?
1: Now when I look back, at the time I didn't think that I could. At the time I didn't. In hindsight. I now feel that I could raise anything with an idea in my head because I believe that there is a design process that you need to go go through in order to tell that story about your idea. So it's at the time my idea, it was just an idea and it is very hard to sell an idea to someone without having to, without understanding the problem, the solution, the, uh, you know, the growth, the impact, the business model, you know, all, all of that process. And I've learnt so much over the last six months in that whole design ideation phase. But you're right, it's a good question because people do raise funds based on an idea. But there's 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 a design. They've the re- the reason that they are successful in raising those funds is that they have articulated it extremely well, and they've put it down in paper in ways that um, demonstrate the success of that idea. and And I think at the time when I was thinking of, well, I can't raise funds because it was. It was just all so much up in, in my head that it was hard to articulate that at the time, but it's not until I've gone through the process now that I've created it and turned it into something that it is a lot easier for people to to even see what it looks like. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just, you know how you, you read news you know, tech news in particular, where it's like, oh, this person raised from like, it hasn't even started. And you like, how do you do that? But, you know, it's it's not unusual for someone to go, I have an idea, let me ask some people. And then I somehow something happens in the middle and they get a raise, right? So that's why it's just, yeah, that's why I was just so intrigued because you have had just in the way that you see things and see the world. I'm like, surely she knew that she could just go, yo, I've got an idea. Let's, you know, let's go for it. Let's, let's potentially raise. So, yeah, no, I just wanted to see where you were at. With something like that and whether it was you know I don't know were you scared was that a motivation thing I'm not sure I was definitely
1: scared definitely scared it's a really difficult thing to bring an idea to life it's all well having it in your head but to to actually bring it to life and to create it from scratch it's it's a wonder there aren't so many you know entrepreneurs because it's so hard it's so tough and it is a scary path to take because you don't know where it's going to end um, because you are going so many different directions all the time. But as long as you stay true to your purpose, I think that's the main thing and and I do have a vision.
2: I don't doubt you. I don't doubt you <laughs> And <laughs> I mean those the six-month period that you had to actually build it, was that, I don't know, would you say that that was some of the biggest challenges that you had building this whole thing or or what is a big challenge that really jumps out in your mind that you had and how did you overcome it
1: in in just that six months no just in
2: building like in sorry in bringing something to life you know solve it as an example like what are some challenges that you face and how did you actually overcome that to get to at least where you are today
1: well, there are lots of challenges along the way. First of all, having children and raising children, and being a mother and being a, a startup founder entrepreneur is really difficult to balance the hours and um, and the dedication to your work. And I can understand why a lot of young people succeed at a, an early age because they don't have the uh, the you know uh, the children do bring a lot of complexity to your life let me say it is it's really tough because you could be doing you, they, they are your priority so when one of them gets sick I've got a, a young one for example who has asthma and, um, and and you know then and then if they're all sick at the same time you have to drop everything and attend to them so you you have to learn to prioritize, um, and that's first and, and foremost um, in in a challenge in itself is the ability to to prioritize and what comes first. Um, so that was a challenge, also in the last, uh, well, in in my time with buildings all of building Zorit, and from a personal perspective, I was I was with someone. Uh, who didn't believe in me as well? Who thought I was, you know, um, quite delusional in my entrepreneurial um, journey, and that was a personal challenge too, which I've learned to only surround myself with people who do believe in in what I am trying to create. Um, so that was a challenge. Uh, also, there are so many challenges, Catherine. It is, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to to choose one specific challenge. Um, funding is is also a challenge it's you know raising funds is definitely a challenge Uh, and and we know that just from the you know you can look at the statistics of how difficult it is for female founders to raise funds and I'm trying to understand that through, through speaking with female founders and, and that's probably one of the biggest challenges I'll have to admit uh, over my journey is is raising funds because I'm bootstrapping everything uh, along the way. So it is it is really, really tough to do that. And a lot of, you know, you speak to VCs and you speak to investors and a lot of them will say, well, you're, you're too early in the stage for us and you don't have enough data points and you don't have enough traction, you know, all the same old, same old, right? And that is why I guess a lot of people don't have you know you get punched over and over again with those kinds of you know, that feedback you can see why people don't want to pursue that opportunity, but you just you've just got to keep keep grinding, keep grinding, keep believing in yourself, stay true to purpose and just
2: get through it. All. Just another one for the rejections folder <laughs> yeah exactly oh my gosh I' just see my rejections folder. <laughs> I love that you even keep one because normally it stings. Like I just love that you jump into the sting. It's it's just, it's just funny and great at the same time. To see us out, I've just got a few final quick fire questions, one of which you've already answered because you told us about your favorite book, The Element by Sir Ken Robinson. Um, what about a favorite podcast?
1: Oh yeah. Um probably my go-to favorite podcast would be. Guy Raz, How I Built This, I absolutely love that. Um, I've cried so many times listening to the stories of the entrepreneurs on that podcast. James Dyson, for example, his podcast with, with Guy is just incredible. And you just learn of all all the things that we're talking about today. These founders have gone through and you only see the success when when things really start to take off, but you don't see all the 5,127 prototypes that James Dyson created before he actually got to the number one. So that that's a big go-to podcast for me. Another one would be Masters of Scale with Reid Hoffman. Um, I do like Tim Ferriss um, aside from all of his advertising. But, um, yeah, you just fast forward to the first five minutes of his podcast and then everything else after that is great. But he does have some fabulous guests on uh, so I do love that podcast, and yeah, talked about the element by Sir Ken Robinson, which is amazing.
2: And so, what about your best resource for tech?
1: Oh, so many, so many. Uh, I love Typeform for uh, for questionnaires and surveys, and I think that's just an easy transition for um, yeah, getting a lot of information. I use um, Mailjet for EDMs uh i use what else do i use um oh gosh there are so many i'm so
2: surprised you have not brought up your excel spreadsheet (laughs) what do you know what
1: exactly i don't like google spreadsheets for some reason but i love excel spreadsheets excel spreadsheets for everything track my peak performance tracking um go to tech for uh, for tracking, exercise would be um, Strava. I'm always on Strava for tracking. Yeah, Noom for for tracking my my food and uh, my exercise and calories and everything else. And, yeah, Excel for
2: everything. I feel like I'm just living life on a cloud when I talk to you because I'm like I don't know anything. Like I can remember maybe what I had for breakfast because it's the same thing I have every day, but apart from that, I couldn't tell you. So I'm literally floating on a cloud where you're just tracking everything.
1: Because you have to be resourceful. You've got to go to places that you've got to do things really. Do you know, it's really funny because I have a business coach and one he's he's this 32-year-old from the States and amazing. Best piece of advice I could give to anyone would be to have a coach or several. Um, But I realised that uh, I used to think, you know, when you go along for an interview and they'd ask you at interview what are your key strengths? And one of them I used to say was, I can I'm a, a great at um, multitasking and I've since learned that that is actually not a good skill to have let me tell you because when you multitask you don't end up focusing on things and i've I've really honed in on the key things that I need to focus on and it, it's just really interesting that um, being extremely resourceful now you've just got to do things very quickly but it helps you to add extra time into your day let's
2: put that badge of honor in the drawer <laughs> the multitasking badge of honor um what about a hobby what hobby have you got right now
1: oh what do I have that is a hobby I have a book club that I go to and this is this is cra- um calling me crazy but it's it's based in the states again, so. It's at 2.30 in the morning. I get up every Saturday night for my book club um, and my kids. You know, And and this is another example I lead by example for my children because they see me uh, developing in so many different ways and learning is always one of those. And book club for me on a a 2.30 in the morning with people who are, this this similar minded in terms of they want to develop and read similar books and they're all they're either entrepreneurs or startup founders and I just I am amongst my people in that book club it is and we sometimes call it mirror club because we really do hold up a lot of mirrors um, about ourselves but it's great I love it that's that's my hobby right now and running as well. I love running.
2: I can't say I've ever come across someone who said their hobby starts at 2.30 in the morning. But kudos to you. <laughs> That's amazing. And, look, working with some American companies, like, I totally feel you. It's just got to work. You know, if you've got to get up at 3, two, four doesn't. if you really want it enough, you can, you know. And so what can our community do to support you?
1: Well, first of all, with Zolvet, whilst we're in our early stages, I, I think come along on the journey follow um follows over on on linkedin follows over on instagram uh help me in my journey in any way you can because by helping me you are helping young people so it's it's not it's not about me but it's it's certainly helping me to help others reach out to me uh and, and if you've got any way any ideas any if you want to come on the platform if you're a company who wants to create a challenge on the platform to help young people as well that would be amazing reach out to me that way um and funding of course there i have to i have to ask if anyone is interested in investing right now we are very seriously taking on funding um taking on investment and even considering going down, and this is what we're throwing around with the board, is do we go to Silicon Valley? This is a really good question. I'm sure you get a lot of that, but do we go to Silicon Valley and pitch to VCs and investors? Uh, do we just take that plunge, another jump off the cliff moment?
2: Could be a trip. Maybe that 2, 2.30 a.m. Saturday morning can become a normal time for you if you're over in the States. And you did say connect with you. Um, how can we connect with you? Uh, So
1: connect with me uh, on LinkedIn. So Helen Baker on LinkedIn, you'll find me there. Uh, Spill the beans because I post everything on Spill the beans um, at Spill the beans on Instagram and also Spill the beans and also Zolvet on LinkedIn are probably the two places to go for Zolvet and Spill the beans.
2: Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Helen. And thank you for bringing the passion that you brought today. It was just incredible. And I'm so excited. (laughs) And I know we're at the end of the conversation too. So thank you. And thank you to everyone who's listening and for hanging out with us today and the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more incredible women like Helen, women in tech from all around the world. Remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And, of course, say hello to us on our socials at Women in Tech on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook. And until next time, stay safe, be rad. Bye. Bye.
1: Hi, I'm Helen Baker, founder of Zolvet. Zolvet is like a socially responsible TikTok meets LinkedIn for young people, bringing industry and young people together on the one platform. I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, and you're listening to Women in Tech.